the messy life of Jacob. Jacob is a troubling character in the Old Testament. He is conniving, and yet he is spiritual. He has moments of great faith, and he also has moments of great fear. His family is sometimes in disarray, and yet at the end, he's one of the patriarchs, one of the key men that God uses to birth the nation of Israel. Now, I'm going to ask you from time to time a few questions throughout the night, so I would appreciate your participation. Do you know what a patriarch is? When we say that Jacob was one of the patriarchs, do you know what a patriarch is? I'm sorry? A father? Absolutely. All right, an ancestor? I'd say it. The male head of the family? In the Bible, the, the patriarchs, specifically the, the patriarchs mentioned in the Old Testament, are the line of men that God used to establish the nation of Israel. Now, it is true that you know, the, the head of a tribe or the head of the family was the patriarch of the family, absolutely. But, in a bigger picture than that, there were three patriarchs in the Old Testament. Uh, if you narrowly define it, there were three patriarchs in the Old Testament. Abraham was the first. And then his son Isaac. And then his son Jacob. And these three men are the fathers, if you will, of the nation of Israel. These three men are the men that God used through whom he brought about the nation that we call Israel today. The Hebrew people. The Jewish people. And the age in which the patriarchs lived... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the age in which they lived is called the patriarchal age. So tonight, we're going to talk about one of the patriarchs, one of the three key individuals in the Old Testament that God used to bring about the entire nation of Israel. But we're going to talk about the messy life of Jacob. You would think because he's one of the three key men in the Old Testament, one of the three key men at least that God used to birth the nation of Israel, you would think that this was an individual who, who was just like the Billy Graham of his day. And in fact, he was anything but that. In fact, I, I just feel compelled to, to make a confession tonight, full, full disclosure, I've never really liked Jacob that much. I really haven't. <clears throat> I mean, when you know who Jacob is, when you understand the way he lived his life, I've always struggled with why God would use him as one of the patriarchs. I mean, he was a con artist. He was a liar. He was a manipulator. And in my own mind, I can't rationalize why God would ever choose somebody like that. I've always wondered if... if uh, you know, if God somehow was trying to make a statement, and perhaps He is, or perhaps He did, despite Jacob's faults, God chose him to be the leader of a great nation, and a nation that even to this day still bears His name. You see, the, the nation of Israel was actually the name of Jacob. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. Uh, you probably know that Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the 12 tribes 
of the nation of Israel. So when we talk about the messy life of Jacob, we are talking about a key individual in biblical uh, prophecy or biblical material. So I hope you've got your Bibles and here's our challenge tonight. There's so much material that you need to understand about Jacob's life in order to understand the night that changed his life. And so we're going to try to cover the material as best we can without running through it. But it's going to take us a while to get to that night that really was life-changing. That changed him from Jacob to Israel. So, a lot of background, but we'll eventually get to that key uh, event in his life. His life story, if you're taking notes, his life story is found in the book of Genesis. And in the chapters 25 through Chapter 49, those are the chapters that detail, describe the messy life of Jacob. Genesis chapters 25 through 49. So open your Bibles tonight to Genesis chapter 25, and let me show you how his story begins. Genesis chapter 25. I want to begin simply talking about the background of Jacob's life, and I want to talk about the background of his life in two different ways. I want to talk about his heritage And then I want to talk about his lifestyle. Alright, so let's talk briefly, very briefly, just read some scripture about his heritage, his spiritual heritage, if you will. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, let's look at verses 19 through 26. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban. Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two, what's that next word, church? Two what? Two nations are in your womb. Even before he was born, there was something different about this man. God said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Esau means hairy, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, and Jacob means he grasps the heel or or he deceives, he holds on to. So even from birth, you've got to understand this, even from birth there was something different about him, right? Even from birth, when he was born, he was grabbing the heel of his brother as he was being born. Now, if you look at this text, beginning as we were reading there in verse 19, answer a couple of questions for me. Uh, I would say that Jacob had a pretty strong spiritual heritage because who was his grandfather? Abraham. (laughs) You don't get much stronger than that, do you? Who was his father? Isaac. So he had this incredible spiritual heritage. You couldn't ask for a greater spiritual heritage than that. But no child can live off of their parents' faith. 
Eventually, they have to decide their own spiritual heritage, their own beliefs. Decide for themselves if they will let God control their lives. And that moment ultimately came for Jacob when he one night wrestled with God. But before we get to that event, we need to talk about Jacob's, we talked about his heritage. I need to tell you a little bit about, about his lifestyle. I looked up the definition of scheming to make sure I was using this word correctly. The word scheming says, or is defined this way, given to or involved in making secret or underhanded plans. Somebody that is a schemer is given to or involved in making secret or underhanded plans. Jacob's name literally means schemer, cheater, subplanter in the Hebrew language. And if there was ever a person who lived up to his name, it was Jacob. He was a schemer. And I'm going to give you two examples real quickly. Again, you just have to have the context before we can talk about that pivotal night in his life. Again, with your Bibles open, find Genesis chapter 25. Uh, You know probably the story. Uh, Let's just read it a little bit. Uh, Genesis 25, verse 29 through 34. How Jacob schemed to get his brother's birthright. Uh, so here's, here's what it says. The boys, let, let's start in uh, verse 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying home or staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished, and he said to Jacob, Quick! Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Here's the schemer, right? Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob Gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Do you know what a birthright is? A birthright included the, the inheritance right of the firstborn. That, that is, the firstborn was to receive a double portion of the inheritance. So if you had three kids and, and you divide up the inheritance after the father dies, you divide up the inheritance three ways. Actually, you don't divide it up three ways because the Firstborn gets a double inheritance. And then you divide up the remainder with the other two kids. Esau gave up his double inheritance for some stew. And who convinced him to do it? Jacob, the schemer. Now, before you try to rationalize all of that, you and your brother or you and your sister did some pretty crazy things too, right? You did it before you were thinking. Alright, so, so he deceived his own brother. He schemed against his own brother. There also came a day, just to show you the character of Jacob and why I don't like him very much, or I didn't like him very much. Not only did he scheme against his own brother, he schemed against his own father as his father was close to death. The story is in Genesis chapter 27. Jacob deceived his elderly father to get his father Isaac's blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. 
The blessing was a covenant blessing. The blessing was, was more of a, a legal thing, if you will. It was a legal standing, a covenant blessing. And as the leader of the family, he would bless the, the firstborn and kind of pass on of the, of the baton, a passing of the baton. We're not going to read the whole story, but uh, let's pick up the story in verse 35. And uh, he deceived, what happens is Jacob deceives his father. He convinces his father that he is Esau. His father is so ill, his father is so weak, his father's eyesight is so bad. Uh, Jacob is convincing his father that he is Esau. And he's asking his father to go ahead and bless him. And so, here's what we're, we're going to do. I'll tell you what, let's, um, let's pick up the story in verse 27. Now, let's go to verse 22. Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau because he had hair uh, that he had put on his hands to deceive his father. He did not recognize it, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Isaac blessed him. And then he asked him, Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and brought some wine and he drank and Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. Isaac's still not convinced, right? So verse 27, So he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, see, Isaac is a pretty smart old guy. He's not just kissing him, he's smelling him. See if it's Esau or Jacob. So he went to him and kissed him, verse 27. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness, an abundance of grain. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. And he's passing on this blessing. And after Isaac finished blessing him, Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He had the time, you could read that that did not go real well. When Esau comes in and finds out that his brother has deceived his father, that did not go well. So let's pick up the story in verse 35. Well, verse 34. When Esau heard his father's words that that your brother has deceived me and I've given the blessing to him. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me! Me too, my father! But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Verse 41. Esau held a, jet, held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, now hear this church, he said to himself, the days of mourning from my father are near, then I will kill my brother, Jacob. That's Jacob's scheming. Scheming against his own brother and then scheming against his dying father to get his brother's blessing. Now, 
With all of that in mind, you need to understand, we don't have time to read it, but if you flip through the pages of your Bible, chapter 28, Jacob is sent to go look for a wife, and he is actually fleeing for his life as well. That's in Genesis chapter 28. And along the way, as he's running towards Padam Aram to find a wife, Jacob has a dream. This is a very important dream. Let me pause there for a second. Have you ever had a dream where you just kind of wake up and, and it just seems so real? You ever had one of those dreams where it, it's, it almost scared you because it just seems so vivid, it just seems so real? Uh, Jacob had a dream like that, except it was real. Now, what was the dream? Well, let's see. Um, chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran and... When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put, put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I give to you your descendants, the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now, stop right there. Look up here for a moment. After that kind of a blessing from God Almighty, you would expect that Jacob's heart was so aligned with God, that Jacob's heart was so ready to obey God, that Jacob's heart was so ready to follow God, that he would have done anything God wanted him to do. And yet, after that dream and God speaking to him and pronouncing this great blessing on him that God is going to use him a divine, miraculous way to bring about a nation. After this dream and God's promise, I'll be with you wherever you go. After this dream, Jacob had a very conditional commitment to the Lord. It's astounding to me, really. Let's Look at the text real quick. Um, Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow, saying, what's that next word, church? If, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and all of that you give me, I will give you a tenth. He conditionally declares that he will follow God if God comes through for him. Now, I want you to look in your Bibles, and let's just try to summarize real quickly. We don't have time to read it, but I want you to look at chapters 29, 30, and 31. Look in your Bibles, chapters 29, 30, and 31. What happens to Jacob during this time? 
Well, in chapter 29, the, the heading in my Bible, yours may be slightly different, but it's the same information. The heading in my Bible over chapter 29 says, Jacob arrives in Padam Aram. Tell me, talk to me real quickly. Why was he going there? Do you remember? Why is he going to Padam Aram? He's looking for a wife. And where <laughs> does he find a wife? Because the next heading in my Bible for chapter 29 says, in the middle of the chapter, Jacob marries... Leah and Rachel. What he found out once he got to Padam Aram that there was a his uncle was na- his uncle's name was Laban, and he found out that Laban was even more of a schemer than he was. He got schemed by the schemer, and and he spends fourteen years there working for the hand of the woman that he loves, and he gets stuck with another woman. Uh, you can read it. We don't have time to. But, but it's really kind of a poetic justice. Uh, and then at the, the next heading in chapter 29 says Jacob's children. He, while he's there, his family grows tremendously. But not only does his family grow, in chapter 30, in the middle of the chapter, in the headings in my Bible, it says Jacob's flocks increase. Now that was just more than just a, a, a term to say that he had a big farm. What that was saying was his riches were growing. His farm was growing. His flocks were increasing. He was becoming a man who had a great deal of wealth. He had a large family. Uh, he, everything that he had was... Gr- he, he went across the river and he didn't have a whole lot when he was coming to Padam Aram. But now, all of a sudden, he has all of this uh, family and all of this livestock and all of this wealth. And so, that's chapters 29 and 30. And then in chapter 31, what's the heading say in your Bible? The top of chapter 31, what does the heading say? Now tell me again, who is Laban? His uncle, who was actually also his slash father-in-law. Because he married the daughters of Laban, okay? Read the first three verses real quickly. Just, Just read them to yourself. In the first three verses, I want you to read those verses of chapter 31. And tell me what happens there. What happens? Yeah. Look at verse 2. Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives. Go back where you came from. Go back where you ran from. Why did he leave that area to begin with? What, what did Esau say? The last time he saw Esau, what did Esau say? Yeah, I'm going to kill you. So he leaves that area running for his life, and while he's going, looking for a wife, he finds two. He spends 20 years in Padana Aram, and now Laban and Laban's workers, they don't like him anymore. They understand he's a schemer. And they're losing in this deal. He's taking their flock and herds. And, and he's got his own method of scheming to do that. And, and 
they're losing their share of the flock and herds, and, and they don't like him. They want to get rid of him. Now he's got to run again. He ran away from Esau, and he went to Laban. Now he's got to run away from Laban, and guess where he's headed back? To Esau. And the only reason he's heading back there is because God told him to. But God didn't just say, you need to go back. God said, if you go back, I will be with you. Now go to the next chapter, chapter 32. Look at the first two verses. When he starts back, he encounters something. In chapter 32, the first two verses, tell me what he encounters. Jacob also went on his way. The angels of God met him. Jacob saw them. He said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim. The angels of God met him to reassure him, indeed, yes, we're going to be with you. But Jacob had some unfinished business. And this is where his life was about to change. Most of us, our deepest experiences with God is usually preceded by personal crisis of some type. I want to say that again. For most of us, our deepest experience with God is usually in the midst of some type of personal crisis. Jacob is no different. He has a crisis, and the crisis has a name. Esau. For 20 years, he's lived away from Esau with the memory that he cheated his brother. For 20 years, he's lived away from Esau knowing that Esau wants to kill him. And he didn't just cheat his brother once. He cheated his brother twice. Remember? The stew, he got his birthright, and then secondly, he got the blessing. He cheated his brother twice. Now let me pause there to say, in our family, the shorter family, there is this story. And you'll just, uh, some of you know my brother Dave. My brother Dave, I have two older brothers. Larry is in the middle. He's in heaven now. But Dave and Larry were eight eight years older, eight or nine years older than me, and I was a baby in the family, and I've heard all of my life this story of how my brother Dave, the oldest, sold my brother Larry a motorcycle twice. He sold him the same motorcycle without any money invested. I don't, know, I don't remember the story. I don't remember how, to, how all that happened, but my brother Dave, <laughs> I'm going to say it this way, he deceived my brother Larry twice and got money out of him to buy a motorcycle that Dave didn't even have money in. And that was kind of the family joke for years and years. I've heard that story over and over and over for years. Jacob had a story like that too, but it was not a laughing matter. It was not a family joke. Jacob's story was that he literally deceived, schemed against his brother twice. And the second time was when his father was nearly dead. And the last time he saw Esau, Esau declared he was going to kill him. All right, with that in mind, Jacob begins to calculate and to scheme. Now read quickly. He's trying to figure out a way. How do I go back? How do I go back? How do, how do I evade Esau's rage? And so he did three things. He had a threefold strategy. Follow along because this is where we're starting to build towards that night. He has a threefold strategy to go back to Esau. First, he tried negotiation. Chapter 32, verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my master Esau. 
Your servant, Jacob, says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. Well, notice how he's referring to his brother. Well, what kind of titles is he giving his brother? My master, my Lord, I'm your servant. And he's asking, may I find favor in your eyes. Keep reading. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. Watch this. I love this line. And now he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. If you're Jacob, what are you thinking? I'm dead. This is it. Yeah, we went to see your brother and he's coming to see you. (laughs) And he's bringing 400 guys with him. Keep reading. (laughs) In great fear and distress, verse 7. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. He's always scheming. He's always trying to figure it out. Watch this. And the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. In other words, he said, okay, family, we're going to divide you. This side of the family, and then this side of the family, and you take some of the animals, and you take the other half of the animals. And what's his thinking? Here's his thinking, verse 8. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group that is left may escape. At least half my family might live. That's his, that's his, that's his theory, that's his plan. So, negotiations didn't seem to work very well because he hears that Esau's coming after him and he's bringing 400 men, so he divides the family up. And when negotiations didn't work, then he did what you and I often do. His second plan of of approach was this. He tried prayer. Verse 9. Then Jacob prayed. It would have been good if he had prayed first, don't you think? Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I'll make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So he's praying for God to intervene. He's praying for God to help. But Jacob still had to be Jacob. He just couldn't leave matters in God's hands. So next, he tries appeasement. That's his third strategy. I love this. This is so Jacob right here. Verse 13. He spent the night there and from what... And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Negotiation didn't work. He wasn't sure prayer would work, so let's see if I can bribe him. He selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And he put them in a care of his servants, each herd by itself. This is so intriguing. Each herd by itself and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. In other words, don't everybody go at once. Go in groups. Why? Here's the reason. 
Verse 17, he instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you're to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and his coming behind us. Oh, that's nice. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You're to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, watch this. He thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. But he himself spent the night in the camp. Now, we've, we've got about 15 minutes left, if, if that long. I want to talk about that night. Because it says in this text, so Jacob, verse 21, Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, and he himself spent the night in the camp. How in the world can God use a man that is such a schemer? How in the world can God use a man that is so conniving? How can Jacob, with the messy life that he had, be the father of the Hebrew people? What changed him? A.W. Tozer once said, The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he's first conquered him. So in our remaining time, I know that was a long introduction. But in our remaining time, I want to talk about the night that Jacob wrestled with God. Literally, the night Jacob wrestled with God. Genesis chapter 32, if you have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 32. Verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. In other words, he sent everybody across the river, and he's on this side of the river by himself. Jacob was left alone. Now God finally had him where he wanted him. Jacob, in a moment of loneliness, encounters God in a bizarre and unique way. What happens next is just hard to describe, so we just need to read it. Beginning in verse 24. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is a bizarre scene. Jacob is alone with his thoughts. He's looking at the stars in the sky. He's by himself. And all of a sudden, a man appears and begins to attack him. Begins to wrestle with him. Who this man is, he has no idea. 
And we don't know what went on in his mind, but probably he was thinking, is this just a bandit who is trying to rob me, or is this an assassin that Esau sent? All he knows is a man jumped him, and he's in the fight of his life. And it was a fight, a wrestling time like he had never encountered. He's grabbing and struggling and rolling around in the dust, trying everything he knows to do. They're not talking to one another, they're just battling with one another. And the question is, who is this man? Well, let me be clear. This was no mere man. Jacob eventually realized that this man was God Himself. Now, how do we know that? Well, just look at the text with me. Look at verse 30. After it was all over, verse 30 says, So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. Jacob was literally wrestling with God. And most commentators believe he probably was wrestling with a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ Himself. That the man he was wrestling with was a pre-incarnate Jesus. It was Jesus coming in the form of a man to wrestle with Him. Now, why is this significant? Let me tell you something. Jacob had schemed and struggled all of his life to always gain the advantage. He was a schemer, a fighter. He had always been that way. He finally that night was confronted with God and God had to show him that ultimately he was going to have to deal with God. Ultimately, he was going to have to face God. Ultimately, he was going to have to wrestle God. And that was going to be a match he would always lose. Remember, Jacob had always been a runner. He had run from Esau. He had run from from Laban. And that night, as he encountered God and wrestled with God, he understood, I can't run anymore. That's an interesting wrestling match. Look at verse 25. How long did it last? Now, this is, you, you got to stay with me. How long did it last? Till daybreak. Kind of went on all night. Now, look, look, come on. Lean in a little bit. Let's talk. Don't you think God could have pinned him down if he wanted to? Have you ever, have you ever wrestled with your son or your grandson? Guys, you know, you, you just kind of wrestle. You, uh, like, my, like my grandson's two years old, and this afternoon we were wrestling a little bit. Have you ever, you know, when, when the grandpa wrestles with the grandson, you know, I kind of let him win. I kind of let, you know, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I could put him down in a second, but I don't. I think that's what's happening here. And the reason I say that is because there comes a moment when it becomes close to daybreak where it says that this man touched the hip of his socket. If you read in the Hebrew text, the, the word touch there means he touched him lightly. He didn't even hit him. He just kind of touched him and put his hip out of place. So, so this man, Jesus incarnate, if you will, wrestling with Jacob, this man could have put him under any time he wanted to, but instead he wrestled with him all night long. The question would be, why? I think God was showing Jacob, no matter how strong you think you are, no matter how de- determined you think you are, you are no match for God. It was almost like God said, come on, give me your best shot. 
Is that all you got? Come on, give me. So he wrestled with him, and he's dogged and he's determined. One thing you got to give Jacob, he's staying after it. He's not giving up. God, if he wanted to, could have squashed him in a moment. And again, that's shown by he touched his hip, and all of a sudden he's writhing in pain. Touched his hip, and all of a sudden he's limping for life. What's all this about? Here's the crucial moment that changed everything. Verse 26. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is now understanding this is no mere man. This is God. And he's asking, he's demanding, if you will, a blessing from God. He's determined. The man asked him, verse 27, what's your name? What's your name? Do you think God didn't know his name? No, of course he knew his name. Why would he ask Jacob that question? What, did, what is your name? He wanted Jacob to know. Jacob, tell me your name. Do you know what your name means? Jacob, tell me your name. Do you know who you really are? What is your name? My name is Jacob. Cheater. name is Jacob. Deceiver. My name is Jacob. The heel grabber. I've been grabbing for stuff all of my life. That's my name. And then the angel said this. This is the turning point. Verse 28. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. We're almost out of time. I want to make sure that we have time to watch the rest of that video. So let me just say this. Jacob gets a new name. And what is his new name? Tell me church, what's his new name? You know what Israel means? Israel in Hebrew, Israel literally means struggles with God. And isn't that kind of a summary of the, of the people of Israel? You read the Old Testament. They struggled with God throughout the entire Old Testament. Jacob was the father of those people. It literally was a life-changing night. Here's the Jacob principle. We're going to close. Here's the Jacob principle. The Lord cannot fully bless someone till He has first conquered him. You probably know a little bit what it's like to wrestle with God. Not literally, like Jacob did, but you know what it is to wrestle with God. Your way or His way? Your glory or His glory? Your plan or His plan? Who's going to be in charge of your life? The Lord cannot fully bless a man or a woman or use a man or a woman until He has first conquered them. But before we leave the text, I need to show you a souvenir that God gave Jacob. Verse 30. Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose up above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob, or Israel, would limp the rest of his life. A reminder of the day that he walked with God, that he wrestled with God and lost, but he won. Hebrews 11.21, I'm watching that clock closely, we've got time. Hebrews 11.21 is my closing verse. I love this verse. When you understand the whole story of Jacob, when you understand the limp that God gave him, I love verse 21 of Hebrews 11.21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, notice this, when he's dying, blessed each of his sons, each of Joseph's sons, and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. He worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Still limping in his final days. Still a reminder of the night he wrestled with God and lost. But he won. He won.